In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Have you ever suffered from what the poets would call a shipwreck of dreams? I'm thinking here about a time when when a, a boat that was carrying some of your highest hopes suddenly capsizes and you watch with horror as something really precious to you just disappears out of sight. I realize that's kind of a dramatic image. But I don't think it over-exaggerates what happened to Joseph in those final weeks and months leading up to that first Christmas. We know very little about Joseph, right? I mean, we know he was a Jew. We know he was a carpenter by trade. We know at some point that he migrated from his hometown of Bethlehem up north to the Galilee. We know that while he was living in a little town called Nazareth, he decided to marry a young woman, a a teenager, really. The two were very careful uh, to go through all the traditions of their culture, so Joseph went to Mary's father and asked for her hand. Um, There was a a public betrothal uh, or or, uh, an engagement, which meant that the synagogue was reserved, invitations were sent out, Everything is building towards this very significant, climactic day. And then Mary came to Joseph and said, I have to talk to you. She said, six weeks ago I was startled when mysteriously I received a message from heaven that God had chosen me to become the mother of Messiah. God wants to do something about this terrible rift between us. And so... God is going to send somebody into history who is absolutely unique. Just as the spirit hovered over the deep at the beginning of time, that same spirit is going to hover over my empty womb and bring forth a new creation. She said, Joseph, I was absolutely overwhelmed. I didn't know what to think. And yet I must tell you that the deepest part of my being wanted to say yes to that invitation. You know me. I see myself as belonging to God, body and soul. I always have. And therefore, Joseph, I said yes to God. I am now pregnant, the very life of God within me. And that was the moment that the boat carrying all of Joseph's dreams suddenly capsized. Those words, I'm pregnant, turned his whole world upside down. We're not told how Joseph reacted to those words initially. I don't think it's too far-fetched to imagine tears welling up in his eyes, shaking his head in dismay, and he probably said to her, you know, I need some time to sort this out. I need to think it through. And so he turned away from her to pick up the broken pieces of what he had thought was going to be a wonderful life. Before he went to bed that very night, Joseph had come to two conclusions. One, very predictable. The other, utterly remarkable. The predictable conclusion was that he didn't accept Mary's explanation about how all this had happened. And I don't think any of us should be too harsh in our judgment. 
I have always said that the doctrine of the virgin birth is for believers only. If you have already come to know the love of God in Jesus through his teachings, through who he, he, he was and what he did, then maybe this sounds like a plausible doctrine. But it is much more a logical conclusion than it is a fitting beginning. I mean, let's face it. If a young woman appeared at Beaumont's ER or down here at Providence and said that she was pregnant and started telling you about the angel, On the other hand, if that baby grew up into a, a man whose teachings completely changed the course of human history, if that young baby grew into a man who died on a cross and was raised from the dead, if 2,000 years later fully one-third of the world's population called him Savior and Lord, you might want to listen to that woman's story again. Of course, Joseph had none of that. All he had was this outlandish claim that suddenly turned his whole world upside down. So quite predictably, he didn't buy her story. And in light of that conclusion, his other decision, it seems to me, is doubly remarkable. Because even though he thought that she had been unfaithful to him, the story says that he resolved not to put her to public disgrace. He wasn't going to go around and tell his friends, can you believe what Mary has done? And I thought I could trust her. And I say that's remarkable because <clears throat> the truth is, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth are woven deep into our instinctive natures. You do something to cause me pain for no reason, and my first reaction is to give you a dose of your own medicine. Tit for tat is the way we tend to do all of our hurts and all of our bad relations. And so for Joseph to believe that he had really been betrayed, but then somehow to find within himself the courage and the mercy to not repay pain with pain, there is something incredibly noble about that. What he intended to do was to go to Mary's father to explain why he was breaking the contract, and then to go to Mary and say, you need to go and visit a distant relative for a while. Because the truth is, Mary, we have a past. We have a present. But given what you have done, we no longer have a future. And so with his heart broken, but his mind made up, Joseph went to bed that night. And lo and behold, the same messenger that had come to Mary came to Joseph and said that Mary's story, outlandish as it might seem, was really God's truth. That God wanted to come into history to save humanity. And that Mary would be the bridge across which God would come. You remember the old legend that Mary was not the first young woman to whom the angel had come. There had been others who had refused because it was too costly or too much of a risk. And so the legend is that all of heaven waited on bated breath to see what this young woman would say. And when she said those incredible words, 
Let it be to me as you have spoken. The legend is that all of heaven exploded in celebration. If that legend is true, then surely there was a second round of applause, maybe a little more subdued. Because when Joseph awoke from that dream, again, his whole life turned upside down. He also found the strength to say, let it be to me as you have spoken. As Mary has found room in her body, I will find room in my life to do what you want me to do. I think we need to remember this morning that Christmas could not have been were it not for two people, ordinary people like you and me, who were willing to second God's motion, who were willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. And what that means literally is that every moment in history is really a joint venture. It always takes two to tango. And every morning that we wake up, you and I are being invited out on the dance floor. I never tire of St. Augustine's famous words, without God we humans cannot, but without us God will not. God is not a rapist. God does not overwhelm human beings against their will. And what that suggests to me is that if you see life through the lens of Christmas, you see, first of all, the wonder of God's desire to bless. But you also see two people who dared to say, I second your motion. And whenever those two come together, there is always a blessing. There is always a Christmas of sorts. But realize there is nothing preordained here. Remember the legend. There were others who had said no. They were not the last to have an opportunity and chose not to participate with Jesus. As Jesus' life began to unfold again and again, he came to people with this impulse to bless, and it died for the lack of a second. You remember when he was beginning his ministry, he came back to Nazareth. And the rumor was that he had done all kinds of great things with other people. His teachings were wonderful. He had healed people. He had even raised somebody from the dead. But when he went to Nazareth, we are told, he could do no mighty works there. And he marveled at their unbelief. Nazareth let the blessings of God die for the lack of a second. Later on in his ministry, you remember, he came to Jerusalem. And having done his best to bring a message of hope there, the story is that he went one day and sat across the city wall and he wept like a baby. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would that I could have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And so Jerusalem also missed a blessing because it always takes two to tango. And that is not just something that happened a long time ago. In our own time and in our own way, the Holy One moves into our lives and invites us to dance. There is nothing preordained about it. We have the power, like Mary and Joseph, to second the motion, and we have the power to say no. Years ago, one of my seminary classmates, Steve, 
was called to a small church in Buckhorn, Kentucky. He told me that there was a man in that congregation who was very faithful to the church. Seemed like every time the doors were opened, he was there. But he said, I believe he was as devoid of human capability as anyone I have ever known. He wasn't able to speak clearly. In fact, it was hard to understand him. His whole business career had been one failure after another. His marriage had disintegrated. His children were in all kinds of anguish. And one day, when the two of them were riding back to town together in the same car, this young man said to Steve, Preacher, I want to tell you something. He said, you would be surprised to know that when I was in high school, I was elected the most likely to succeed. I was the president of my class. I was a champion debater. Everybody said, here is a man who is going to make his mark in the world. He said, I had all kinds of gifts. But as a young man, I felt the definite call that I should enter into the ministry. I felt like this is what God had given me these gifts of speech and relationship for. But he said, somehow I could never say yes to it. There was always something that was more important. There was always something more insistent that I wanted to do. He said, as the years have unfolded those gifts that I did not use, I have lost. I no longer am able to speak. I no longer am able to inspire people. He said, everything that I've done in the business world has failed. My own family is in disarray. I'm telling you this, Pastor, because you still have your gifts. And you still have a choice. He said, I wish that someday you would tell them about me. Tell them about my great promise and my opportunities. And then I wish you would tell them. It may cost a lot to say yes to God, but it costs even more to say no. I think Mary and Joseph would agree with that. I think they also know that you and I are given gifts and we are given opportunities for this joint venture with God. God calls us out of our little worlds and out of our little comfort zones. We too belong to the Lord, body and soul, and to offer those gifts back to God, that is what brings real meaning and joy to our lives. But if we have those moments and we choose rather to allow them to die for the lack of a second, then history misses a blessing. And we ourselves miss the great opportunity to become all that the Holy One wants us to be. So this Christmas, I want, to, I want you to remember that Christmas is what it is. Because first of all, of God's desire to bless. But also because God found two people who were willing to second the motion. Christmas and Jesus. That's what comes when we say yes. Nazareth and Jerusalem and this pitiful guy from Buckhorn. This is what happens when we say no. It is true, it takes two, God and you, to tango. And while it may cost a lot to say yes to God, it always costs more to say no. Don't let that motion 
pass you by. Amen.